Welcome to Leading with Curiosity. Command and control leadership is dead. We interview leaders, entrepreneurs, and executive coaches challenging old paradigms and fostering cutting-edge leadership. Here's your host, certified executive coach, Nate Leslie. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Leading with Curiosity. In today's episode, we're going to take a little side road and try something a little bit different. Uh, I am actually on a panel in this episode hosted by the Supporting Lines Institute founder, Jeff Smith. You might remember Jeff from episode four, where we explored the secret to high-performance culture. Uh, The Supporting Lines Institute runs a human experience summit two times a year, and this is an audio recording of part of that session. Uh, We will sprinkle in these recordings uh, throughout the next few episodes, and so today is part one of three. On the panel with me is Janet Wood. Janet was a high-level leader in companies like SAP, Global Software Company, you know, where she talks about, you know, when they were trying something with a leader, or with their leadership group, they'd roll it out with a thousand leaders, and if it was successful, they'd roll it out with another 8,000. The scale at which she talks about the leadership initiatives that she was responsible for just blows my mind. In kind of semi-retirement, she was the CEO of Science World in Vancouver, which for so many of us would be, you know, the epitome of of a senior leadership role. And for her, it was in, you know, in semi-retirement that she did that. And Jeff Smith, the founder of the Supporting Lines Institute, where I am a certified practitioner and they're a good partner of mine. Uh, Jeff used to uh, lead a sales team at a global helicopter company. He helped take sales from $800 million to $1.6 billion. He tells stories of, you know, decisions and protocols and systems that they had to have in place that might lead to, uh, you know, a $25 million mistake where they needed to put a helicopter on the inside an airplane to get it somewhere in the world delivered on time if their systems weren't in place in the right way. So the leadership challenges Jeff leans into are are massive and it all of those experiences led him to create the high performance index that we use with many of our leaders and organizations that I work with. So this is part one of three audio recording of the Human Experience Summit uh, where we focus on how to show people that you want to help them grow. That sounds kind of obvious, but our data shows that many leaders think that we're supporting our teams in a way where people uh, are able to grow both personally and professionally. Uh, yet something is lost in our delivery where the, uh, our teams don't experience that. And that's the topic of the entire Uh, Human Experience Summit recorded a couple of weeks ago. That would be in uh, June 2021. And uh, so I hope you enjoy it. And we will sprinkle in part two and three after a few great interviews we have lined up with some pretty amazing leaders and coaches. Enjoy. So welcome to the Human Experience Summit. This is our fourth summit. um, And we've Got a lot of really good feedback on this format, the format of having kind of the 90 minutes. Um, so we're going to do that again today. Uh, we'll have a longer format one in November. So look for more details uh, over the summer on that. Um, very excited today to talk about showing that you genuinely care about employees. We have two amazing guests here who I'll introduce in a second, uh, Janet Wood and Leslie. Um, 
the big thing we want to talk about today is there's there is an apparent gap um, between what how managers think they're doing in this area and what the ex actual experiences of employees. So we're going to put you to work right out of the gate. So here's a poll question. So what percentage of leaders do you think actually have a genuine interest in their employees? Um, so we've got the, the options here. Is it less than 25%, 25 to 50, 50 to 75, or 75 to 100? So this is what percentage of people actually have a genuine interest? Looks like Nate and I can't vote. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're ineligible. You had to vote. Yeah. We uh, very tight voting rules here. Okay. No, that's okay. Uh, what would you say, Janet, if you were to respond to it? probably say 75 to 100 percent but yeah neat. what's more important is what the group thinks yeah i would go around 75 yeah I, I i'm kind of the same i think 75 to 100 is where i would think i mean i sometimes can be an optimist in some of this stuff i mean i'll defer to people's real experience and real perceptions here um which are clearly a little bit lower lower than i would have expected um so this is just do people have it now of course we got an extra one here on uh, on the 75 to 100 <laughs> we, 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 we campaigned for it. So we'll close, we'll close the poll here. Um, the, the big thing is, this is less about sort of the science of, you know, what we think it is. I want to kind of drive home a point here quickly. I could talk for four hours on this topic, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk for two minutes. Um, I don't know if people are familiar with the concept of servant leadership. What we're going to talk about today um, in some ways relates back to something from 1970. I would have invited him here today, but um, we'll have him here in spirit posthumously. Um, the, the thing, one of the key things in his paper called the servant is leader is that it, it puts forth this, something he calls the true test of leadership. And what it really boils down to is did people grow? So it sounds simple, but when you look at the things he's talking about, it's are people healthier? Are they wiser? Are they freer? Are they more autonomous? It isn't, did they get better at working machine XYZ to be able to do task, you know, whatever. So the, the test really is, this is how we like to put it. And this actually was part of the exit interview um, that we used at, when I was at Mobify was, is your life better because you worked here? That's the test. That's what we're talking about. And if that sounds aspirational, it isn't. Um, it's actually what we see in our research. So the research that we do shows that you can be a good leader. So say you get a 75, 77% score on our 360. Most good leaders are good at align and collaborate. But for the people that get over 83, which I would call excellent leaders or the best leaders, they are all good at help people grow. So when Robert Greenleaf talked about the true test, I would actually, you know, 42 years later, annotate that and say, it's the true test of exceptional leadership. So you can be a strong leader, a good leader, focused on align and collaborate. But if you truly want to differentiate from good leader into being an amazing leader, the best leaders, a great leader, you have to help people grow. That's what our research shows. And so now let's put the poll up again. And this time we're going to ask what percentage of leaders actually show a genuine interest. So last time we asked you if people have an interest in their people. Now, this was this one I would answer differently for sure. <laughs> so how many, what percentage of leaders do you think actually show it? As you can see here that there's definitely a gap. And that is the gap 
that we're going to talk about today. I'll just give another couple minutes here so people can, uh, okay, the poll's closed now. You opened it again? All right. <laughs> poll's closed, poll's open. We're, we're rolling with it. So if you haven't voted, I, I would like to get a, a couple more if, if people haven't voted on this, but clearly it's, it's lower than what, um, you know, we saw in terms of the, do people have an interest? And so what we've got here is something that people do have an interest and it's common sense. I believe that, that if you show a genuine interest in someone's development, that that's going to be a good thing for their human experience of work. Yet we're not doing it. And so that's what we really want to tackle today with the two uh, very smart people, very experienced people that we have today. So Janet, I used to work with Janet. And so I'm just going to introduce why I'm excited that you're here and why we've invited you. So Janet is definitely one of my mentors. And I would say my life is better because I worked with Janet. I think that I think a lot of people that worked with Janet would say that. Um, Janet is amazing at closing that gap from having a genuine interest to showing it. And not just for like, not just herself. I've, I've found with working with Janet, she's also good at encouraging other people to do that. So she will have lots to tell us. Nate has a very interesting background. So aside from being just an excellent human, Nate is an executive coach. He is an entrepreneur. Um, he also was a high performance hockey coach um, and athlete, athlete development. And before that was a professional hockey player. So I think what's interesting, um, you know, and, you know, spoiler alert, and I'm definitely going to ask you a question about your, how, what we see across all four of those, what's different, what's the same. But mm. I think that that lens or those lenses, I think also really lend well to this conversation, the different perspectives, but also given that you've in multiple capacities, help people grow. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Janet and Nate to introduce themselves. And one of the things I'd love to know is, you know, if you could give us one example from your own experience, your own career, of somebody that really did show a genuine interest in your development, um, that would be a great way to introduce this as well. So I'll turn it over. Um, you know, maybe Janet, you start, and then you can hand it off to Nate. Okay. Well, hi, everybody. And, and thanks, Jeff and team for inviting me to be on the panel today. This is a topic I have a lot of interest in a lot of passion about. I spent my career in the technology sector. Um, I think it was it was on the picture of me a few minutes ago, so I won't go into it, but had a lot of different roles. I was in direct sales in partner sales. Uh, I was in and the last five years of my career I spent in HR so moved to Germany on assignment with SAP if you're not familiar with SAP it's about 100,000 employee largest enterprise software company in the world I'd say, and was focused on uh, the leadership development globally for the company talent development executive recruiting uh, equity and, and compensation things like that, and then I supported our global CEO and his direct reports. Uh, the last couple of years, and then I retired. And then I went uh, after about two months of, of bliss in the summer, I was asked by Science World if I'd be the interim CEO of Science World. For those who may not be from Vancouver or BC, if you've ever been here, it's the great big dome on the water in Falls Creek. Non-COVID times, it has about 800,000 visitors a year and also reaches out to about 140,000 kids in every corner of the province to advance uh, STEM learning. And that was, and then COVID hit in the middle of that. I was there for a year. Obviously that slowed down the search. They were searching for a new CEO. Uh, and I always have said it was one of the, absolutely the most challenging leadership positions I ever had, but certainly one of the most rewarding as well. It's such an amazing organization and it, it, was, it was hit and continues to be hit so hard by the pandemic. So in terms of leaders, 
or as managers I've worked for that uh, took a genuine interest in me. I think one was uh, when I was in Vancouver, when I was with IBM and I was working in Vancouver, but I had a Canadian role. So I was traveling a lot to Toronto. My boss was in Toronto. So he wasn't, I didn't see him every day. I didn't talk to him every day, but he was such a genuine guy. Like first he, he really empowered me. He believed in my capabilities. He was there to support me. He would ask me about how I was doing, how was the travel, you know, he was very empathetic that I was living in a hotel four or five nights a week, almost every week in Toronto. It just meant I worked all the time because I didn't really, you know, know a lot of people socially there. But I think it was just that I knew he was there for me, but he wasn't crowding me. And I felt like he just was really interested in how I was doing both personally and in the job. Awesome. And Nate, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thanks. Hi, everybody. And a pleasure to be here as well and to share in this topic that's really important to me, too. Uh, I guess, as you mentioned, I'm in my third career, my first having been almost 10 years as a professional athlete in one of the best leagues outside the NHL and one of the worst pro leagues. So I got to see that experience top to bottom. <laughs> and then I spent a number of years in education and development of youth coaches. One of my mentors is on this call with us today, which I'm really proud about, and had an opportunity to build a business in what I consider social entrepreneurship, where this idea of helping people grow was really at the heart of every decision that we made. And when I think about this topic, I get stuck on this idea what else could there be other than the human interactions uh, between people? The, the rest kind of needs to come later. The results mm -hmm. are so much richer uh, when people are having a, a better human experience. And so I spent a number of years in that uh, field and still am to a degree in, in developing coaches and athletes. And through that, uh, met Jeff Smith. Uh, who led me uh, down this road of executive coaching, which was really challenging parts of my paradigm on what it really means to coach and leadership development. And I, I, I joke, I, I coached people's kids for 20 years, and now I have a chance to work with the parents. And it's also it's an <laughs> equally uh, rewarding experience. Around this idea of where... I, I assumed someone had a genuine interest in my development, but I didn't actually experience it. I feel like there's this unintentional gap where people are, leaders are stuck in their own survival mode and self-preservation with everything that they have going on. And we use sport as a metaphor in the leadership industry all the time and I catch myself going back to, hang on a second, we need to be careful about this metaphor because it's not all healthy and positive. And then quickly think about all the coaches in the sport world who do absolutely incredible things. Um, mm -hmm. But this, this idea of a coach in the, in, the, in the professional sports world is often a few games away from being fired. And I heard a very well-known coach that I had once say, how could the players do this to me after a bad game? And I thought to myself, the players aren't making this about you. It's about them. 
And so there's this, there's this experience where the coach in a win at all cost environment where you're a couple of weeks away from being fired, you can want to care about the team and that's likely the best route to success. And if you don't make certain decisions over the next 48 hours, you might be out of a job and your wife and children are wondering what, what, what the heck do we do now? Mm-hmm. And so that's where, where survival mode in the sport world uh, gets in the way of really showing that genuine interest in the development of the athletes that I've experienced. And that has really shaped my coaching approach that it needs to be about the people and that mm-hmm. idea of the, it's a process. Every, every cliched great NHL uh, post game interview about it's, you know, it's about the process. The cliches are there for a reason. Cause really it is about the daily day-to-day process. No, I love that. And I think, you know, it, there's a lot of examples. One of the most recent ones in Canada um, of having, you know, Mike Babcock with the Toronto Maple Leafs out command and control style income Sheldon Keefe. And he, he started going right back to some basics around individual skill development and other things. And this one is for you, Matthew, who's from Montreal. Of course, it didn't matter because this year our Canadians knocked him out, but we won't, we won't, we won't go into that in the summit, um, especially for those people who are Toronto fans. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, so, Janet, when we look at the this gap, um, the gap between people having a genuine interest, which in our poll question, I think for you know, on average, people here agree that more people have an interest than actually show it. Um, when we were when we had a sort of our prep call for this, you had some great things you talked about in terms of what are some behaviors and things that leaders have that can create this gap and create this misperception. Um, what maybe you can expand on that here for uh, for people is this, mm-hmm. this topic of the the diminishing behavior behaviors? Yes, so mm-hmm. uh, some of you on on the call may have read the the multiplier effect, uh, and it is really about how leaders can really. Uh, expand the power and the impact of their team by really working with their team members and and really truly empowering them. And there's a quiz you can take, and I think we can put it up in the chat. Uh, And it's a concept of unintentional diminishing behaviors. And it's things that we as leaders can do where we actually think we're helping, but we're not really helping. And I took the quiz a few years ago. I think they've changed it over the years, but I think it still comes out and tells you effectively what are your unintentional diminishing behaviors. And for me, one that really struck me was a rapid responder, it was called. I had three, but the one I'm going to talk about is is a rapid responder. And it's and for me, because I was living in Vancouver, but I had a team spread out across across the world. And in one area in particular, I had a woman who was at that time, I was leading multiple areas of HR, and she had leadership development. She was based in Philadelphia. And sometimes I'd get an email like five o'clock my time, you know, eight o'clock her time. Uh, I'd be copied on. It'd be to her, but I'd be copied on it. And someone's looking for something. And I would respond because I think, oh, it's, it's eight o'clock. And I'm sure Mary's trying to spend time with her family. And I'll just respond so we, we get it done and we don't have to worry about it. But what this little quiz showed me is, that's not really helping. Like it is, of course, it's helping if it's urgent. You know, if it's really critical, that's great. But I was responding to anything that came to me when I perceived that Mary would be off for the night. And what that was doing was really disempowering her. It was saying, you don't need to worry about Mary, just go to Janet. Or, you know, I just effectively, I felt like I was helping but I really wasn't helping. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when we were talking about it, I thought Nate had an, you know, it's, 
I also probably, it was some insecurity on my part too, wanting to help, wanting to be seen as the person who comes in and kind of, you know, gets things done right away. So there was also my own insecurity issues probably, or my inside voice or something there. But it is, uh, it's really interesting to do that analysis and it doesn't take a long time and just see things that you are not empowering your team. And, you know, Mary was great. But she could have been someone who could have said at some point, well, I won't bother because Janet will respond. I don't need to look at my mail after like five o'clock because Janet will always step in. And that's not in a good way. That's in a like I give up kind of way. I can't stay you know, on top of things fast enough for her. So just something to think about where people we all might feel like we're helping, but we're really not. Uh, we're not. Um, you know, enhancing their skill set. We're not developing them. We're not being servant leaders, as Jeff talked about at the beginning. Yeah, it's hard. It's like, I mean, as a coach, I spend a lot of time all day telling people what, you know, telling people different options, what they could do, helping them explore how they could be a better leader. And then in our last one-on-one, Tiana gave me some feedback that, again, things coming from a good place that are diminishing behavior being ex- like, I tend to get excited about some of these topics and you want to jump in and share things. But if you do that too quickly, the other person doesn't feel like they were heard. And so, so moderating this today is good training for me. Nate's laughing. Uh, he's seen this in action. Um, Nate, what, what, uh, what perspective do you have on this? I think um, I'd be interested to get your perspective on the diminishing behavior. And maybe this is a good segue into some of these different theaters and different sort of realms in which you've experienced some of this, um, some of these things that Janet's talking about, how that plays out in different different venues. Yeah, we talked in the prep for this about this idea that we we train people the way we want them to treat us. And just the whole email culture thing is probably for, for a different webinar. Um, <laughs> the, the thing that's really the, the underlying theme for me on all of this is that as leaders, our conduct creates an atmosphere inside of other people. And it's a blind spot that many of us aren't aware of in kind of every, in every two-minute interaction throughout the day. And the con- our conduct is a choice. The way we choose to conduct ourselves leading into a tough meeting, right after a tough meeting, when something is said that we don't agree with. Uh, that atmosphere that it creates just is. You can't control how people perceive that atmosphere. The challenge is it is that that atmosphere causes people to create a story about themselves. And so in Janet's instance, she mentioned that her colleague in Philadelphia may eventually be telling herself, well, Janet must not trust me, or she's just going to do it anyways, or... or you know, a whole bunch of different stories. And those stories, we as leaders also can't control. The one thing we can control is our conduct. And people often talk, you know, you talk to someone that works in nonprofit and they talk about what what donors want their legacy to be, right? Like I've spent my career earning this money and now I want to give it all to science world. And, you know, then I'll be recognized to be awesome. Good place to give it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our legacy is really defined by the two minute interactions that we have in the hall, in the meeting, on the call, body language, et cetera. 
And so um, that's what I'm really interested in right now is how we conduct ourselves as leaders, the impact and the ripple effect that that has. So just to follow up on that too, when we, um, we spoke about this a few times, actually, this, this, these, there are many people that are in a culture, unfortunately, of uh, fear-based leadership. And even if an entire organization doesn't have that, um, certainly you can, one leader of one team may use that approach because of some of these, you know, you know, Janet was talking about people's inside voices and inside things that are going on for them. And, and you're talking about like people's sort of tendencies as well and, and sort of they're making it sort of personal. So in a fear-based environment, obviously showing genuine interest doesn't really go with that. So what, what if, if someone is in a fear-based environment, what message would you have for them? Like, I don't know yeah. what experience you've had with this firsthand, but yeah, what, what, tell people. And this is where the dots connect. The more people I talk to, the more books I read, the more partnerships that I have, you hear the same thing uh, explained slightly differently and the dots start to connect and it starts to kind of define your values. Uh, this is how old this expression is. The, the garbage can kicking coach that throws chalk, like who uses chalk anymore? And you know, it would be a recycling <laughs> bin now, right? Um, but they that, still kick it. that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That environment that shows up in that's the metaphor and in, in, in you know in a really performance based like results are the only thing that matters and that might be a good segue for Janet in some of her experiences where results are the only thing that matters um, that that fear based do this or else is might work for a very short time in the sport world that that garbage can kicking coach, you know, might get some results coming in late in the season or maybe with a young team that's that's scared to death. But elements of performance, take an athlete in that moment before some event in the Olympics, cannot perform under fear. Mm -hmm. So they're doing everything they can to stay in the moment and block out that fear, et cetera. And Yet for some really weird reason in leadership and parenting and relationships, we have this innate human behavior to, to want to put the thumb down on, on somebody expecting that the result will be better. And your question was, what message do I have for someone in that? Uh, well, number one, the times are changing because athletes aren't putting up with it anymore because I said so never was a good enough reason. And it's certainly <laughs> not now. <laughs> and uh, gosh, how to deal with it. I'd love to hand it over to Janet for what, you know, they might actually do about it. <laughs> well, we, when we met um, a few days ago, we talked about the fact that when children are learning to walk, uh, you don't yell at them every time they fall down. <laughs> and if you did, they probably never learned to walk. So just taking that analogy, it just reinforces what you just said, Nate. I did actually, surprisingly, it was at IBM is the only time in my career I worked, well, actually twice, but, but the time that's most memorable to me, I worked for someone who, you know, would sit in his office and just scream your name out from his office and everybody would go running in. He was, uh, and he got away with it. Um, for years and years until finally one day he threw a salad at someone in the middle of a lunch meeting and then he got called up to desk. But anyway, <laughs> then his uh, name got called. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. took it took it took decades though. 
But, you know, things are different. I just heard the other day that um, a survey of Canadians shows that over 40% of Canadians are thinking about changing jobs in the next 12 months. Mm. I mean, COVID has changed everything and that's a whole other topic, but there's just the whole um, fact that there's a real war for talent, all kinds of talent, and there's so many more choices. So if I was in that situation today that I was in in the early 90s, I probably would have I'd either gone to HR, which I didn't, and neither did any of my colleagues. We were all in the same boat uh, and try, you know, and basically had the person somehow taken to task, or I would have left and gone somewhere else because Mm -hmm. there just are so many choices now for people. And I think that's something that all leaders and managers of people are going to have to be aware of is that with COVID, uh, that's bringing a whole other sense of people being ready to move. You know, we always talk about millennials that millennials, uh, you know, I would always say at SAP to leaders, look, no one's joining SAP today thinking they're going to retire at SAP. But 20 years ago, people did think that way. Mm-hmm. So now it's about how long can you keep them and how long can mm-hmm. you keep your really good performers? And I think COVID is just going to absolutely accelerate that. And it's mm-hmm. going to be about things like like well-being and is your manager really caring about what's going on for you not just at work but what you're trying to deal with in your home life as well as it relates to keeping your family safe or your financial situation it's going to be about flexibility I think the whole way that we that companies manage return to work and what their expectations are for employees coming back to the office or having flexibility or not having flexibility is going to really change that whole dynamic pretty dramatically over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. Jeff, just to to jump off, uh, launch off on that, connecting it back to this theme of showing a genuine interest in helping people uh, grow and develop and return to work. The thing that's hooked me on your work and your research with supporting lines around the grow section is the correlation and how practically things can be implemented and when you do one thing Mm -hmm. it impacts so many others and I know it's at the tip of your tongue so well but I use it as an example with people of if I set up monthly meetings with someone and ask them how they're doing they will feel like I'm taking a genuine interest and if I take a genuine interest and we have those conversations I will probably learn what they're interested in moving towards in their own career. And if I know what they might be interested in moving towards in their own career, then something will come out of either the manual or opportunities or, or, or new conversations about what they can actually do to move towards those. So maybe, maybe we'll turn it back to you just to talk about those correlations of how to actually practically simple it is to implement this genuine interest. I mean, I think that's the, you know, that, that really is so well said. And I think it really comes back to the fact that, you know, Janet, you talk about well-being. So research we did last year showed an 89% connection between whether someone would say they're in a high-performance culture using our instrument and psychological safety as measured by Guarding Minds at Work, which is, I think, the world's foremost. It's the most comprehensive psychological safety assessment anywhere. The key thing, and the reason this topic is so important, is it's showing a genuine interest in your employee's personal development, that question or that element in on its own is 77% related 
to psychological safety. And I would say there's some, something causative about that. I don't think that it's because someone's psychologically safe. It's like, oh, look, Janet feels psychologically safe. I should show a genuine interest in her. Pretty sure it's the other way around. So I don't have, we'll have the data at some point in that, but I'm pretty sure we already have it. It's just kind of common sense. Mm -hmm. And so showing genuine interest is simple things like giving people feedback, giving people recognition, but like really authentically doing it, not because you got some corporate program where you got to give someone a gift card, like really giving someone appreciation, recognition, having effective one-on-ones. I mean, I won't go, one-on-ones are a whole separate topic. We'll have a summit on it at some point, <laughs> but if you're that, that definitely reach out if you'd like to know how to have an amazing one-on-one because we've seen, well, Nate, you've seen with one of your clients that people can transform what people say about their leadership and their experience of being on the team in like six to eight weeks. It sounds like some infomercial, right? But it's, it's happened and it's happened multiple times. And so the great thing about showing genuine interest is that you can just do it. Like there's nothing stopping you. You can just do it. It costs nothing and it seems to be rapid. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed part one of three of the Human Experience Summit. We will pick up this audio recording with a question about showing that genuine interest in your team and in the personal and professional development of your team members in this challenging time throughout this pandemic and how that might shift and evolve and stick around moving forward as some of us are feeling lucky at the moment coming out of this challenging time. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Leading with Curiosity community. Thanks for listening to Leading with Curiosity. Please share, follow, and rate the show so that other leaders can make positive change in the world. Connect with Nate at natelesley.ca. And remember, the brain behaves very differently when encouraged to think rather than told to listen.